Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey. Hey. How have you been, Sam? I've been good. I uh, ticked off something off my bucket list uh, last night. Threesome. Yes. <laughs> I had a threesome. And during the threesome, we were getting a bit bored. So we decided to uh, pop on a movie. Say so that, you know, like when you're in an orgy, sometimes it's not always easy for everyone to, you know, keep uh, occupied at one time. Of course. It's right. easy for someone to be a bit of a loose end at any given time. So it's useful to have a movie on in the background so that, like, yeah. during a bit of downtime in the orgy, maybe when the other two people are, like, going to town each other. They're going to town each other and you can have something else to do. So uh, we decided to put on Nine Lies, the movie with um, Kevin Spacey and Christopher Walken. Uh, in which he's a, a huge businessman, a sort of tycoon type, um, and uh, he just only cares about his business, and he's a bad father to his child, and he gets turned into a cat, uh, and <laughs> then he just lives as a cat for a little while and learns a lesson about about uh, you know, about being a human. I remember the trailer. How did, how was it? Uh, well, we all stopped fucking and sat down. That's how good it was. It was <laughs> it was transfixing. Um, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed it. We were all pretty drunk. Uh, there was, um, we were just sort of eating pizza and um, <laughs> transitioning from the fantasy orgy scenario into what actually happened. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't a good movie, but I have to say I kind of enjoyed it. But I was watching it with interest because I read this, like, hot take. Did we talk about this on the I'm not sure we before? did, but there's some hot take that it's, like, is made explicitly for Trump to be seen by Trump. Yeah. So it's not like a movie, you know, there's other kinds of movies like this about like a bad man who learns a lesson and becomes good or whatever. Uh, but that's, there's normally general kind of like moral type films, but the argument that was being made here is that it was a movie that was made like explicitly to be watched by Trump, appeal to his ego and sort of sneak in some kind of human lesson into it. Right. Um, and I think the main argument you can make in favor of that is just that the movie does not seem particularly like it doesn't really condemn the guy for the excesses of uh, big business that you might imagine that such a film would frown on. So he's like he runs a huge company that's named after himself in a rather Trump like way. And the movie is all about him trying to build the biggest tower in America. Oh. So it's just like not really doing anything that's worthwhile, but just like a big monument to his own ego um and uh but it's not about how like he shouldn't have been doing that it's more about how he's got a like shitty um sort of mean uh, other guy on the board who tries to take over and ruin his plans um when he's in a, you know in, in, in cat form um and uh so and, but, and that, that guy is the reason why the tower is not quite tall enough 
So there's some other company building a bigger tower. Oh, God. In well, Canada. I, I can relate to these problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So, like, nothing... He doesn't really... You know, he's not really taught very much except, like... You know, he, like, spends a bit more time with his daughter and his um, wife because he's a cat now. His wife's played by Jennifer Garner. Oh, um, wow. Okay. I don't know. It just sort of poodles along and then eventually he's not, he's not a cat anymore. Some good cat gags. The sort of cat CGI is surprisingly good. <laughs> it's directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, the director of Men in Black. Oh, wow. He's just gone from strength to strength. Yeah. It really well, makes Men in... You can see that Men in Black is the first draft that would eventually <laughs> become Nine Lives. Is there a good joke based around him having to take a dump? Oh, man. So many. Yeah? They don't, they don't do that only one time. Oh, brilliant. He keeps doing that. Like, there's a lot of literary gags. Cheryl Hines is in it and he, he whizzes in her um, handbag. Because she's a bit of a mean or something, so she yeah. deserves it. Um, and yeah, the, the 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 best thing about the film by far is Christopher Walken, whose twinkle has been set to eleven, <laughs> blindingly, uh, blinding twinkle in his eye, and he just uh, sort of very jovially always turning up, uh, always talking directly to camera because you're always looking at things. Yeah, you know, he's often looking at things from a sort of cat perspective. Right. Okay. So it's Christopher Walken leaning right into the screen and sort of you know rasping his uh, <laughs> oddly enunciated, uh, quite charming lines and having a great time. He does a little bit of a dance at one point. They didn't use the song The Love Cats by The Cure. I thought that was a bit disappointing. Didn't use Cool For Cats by Squeeze. Also disappointing. Um, I'm now trying to think of a... Did they use Stray Cat Blues by The Rolling Stones? I don't believe so, no. I think that's probably outside the budgetary range of this movie, <laughs> to, to, to be honest with you. So, yeah, so I... Uh, Cat Stevens, any Cat Stevens on the soundtrack? It was all Cat Stevens, yeah. <laughs> so not Cat related, but if you're in the know, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, I get it, another Cat Stevens track, love it. Um, they did that bit, you remember the end of the Skins episode where they all sing along? Um, to Wild World. To Wild World. Yeah. Yeah, that happens in Nine It's all Cat singing. Yeah. Yeah, so I reckon, you know, I recommend it. Cool. I'm going to check it out. It's on Netflix, right? Uh, it is on Netflix, and that's exactly the way in which we watched it. And, and then we'll straight back to straight back to the suck and fuck. Straight back to the suck and fuck fest. So, uh, Danny, in case uh, <laughs> listeners aren't aware, you know, maybe this is your first ever say, like, what is this podcast about? Like, what's the deal? That's an excellent question, Sam. The Film Chat is a podcast all about a table tennis player called Sam Foster, who, despite being incredibly gifted, gave up the sport due to the fact that it resulted in the untimely death of his dad. Years later, Sam is recruited by the FBI to be an undercover agent to take down an evil gangster slash table tennis enthusiast called Thang. To do this, he enlists the help of legendary trainer Danny Moran to sharpen his abilities before entering an illegal sudden death underground table tennis tournament run by Thang. He quickly advances through the rounds, which catches the attention of Thang and also Danny's very attractive daughter, Maggie. The film concludes with an epic table tennis match between Sam and Fang that takes place over several buildings and results in Fang being electrocuted. Not really sure how that happens. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the classic 2007 film Balls of Fury. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran and joining me is a man who can put a backhand slice on a, I don't know how it works, Sam Foster. Hi. Hi. Uh, this week we're reviewing Psychological Horror, It Comes at Night. It's all about something that might come at night. Does it come at night? Be a spoiler for me to, for me to say. Um, and I'm reviewing Sophia Coppola's uh, The Beguiled, 
in which a sexy injured soldier is holed up with a gang of women in a seminary during the American Civil War. Does he come at night? Well, that'd be giving it away. We're also talking about the news that Quentin Tarantino is lining up a film about the Manson murders, his first movie about real-world events since he depicted the tragic shooting of Tim Roth in his film Reservoir Dogs. Um, And we discuss Moonlight director Barry Jenkins' next project and the the hot-off-the-press announcement of the new Doctor Who. All that should leave just enough time for me to announce Film Chat's next live event. Please come to the Great Film Chat Chili Cook-Off, in which (laughs) 1,000 ambitious, movie-loving amateur chefs will compete to make the tastiest film-themed chilies. This extravaganza will take over the entirety of the O2 Arena for the month of October, and it may spill into November as well. Uh, Judges include me, Dougal McQueen, John Tarode, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, or Dwayne The Rock Johnson, or Dwayne Johnson The Rock, Uh, Katie Rogers, that guy from Man Vs. Food, whose name I don't remember, Catherine Bigelow, and Olivia de Havilland. Uh, Danny's not judging. Sorry, Danny. Oh. You have no taste in chili. You know, you'll know true. Olivia de Havilland when it comes to judging a film themed chili, I'm afraid to say. Harsh but true. We don't have that much correspondence this week. We got another message from Olivia, though. She's claiming that Jacob Tremblay, the young guy from The Room, the little sweet-faced, um, beautiful boy who's good at acting, yeah. looks a lot like Ty Sheridan, that guy who's in... Uh, uh, what was he in? He's in X-Men Apocalypse. Apocalypse and, and Mud. He's in and Mud, the yeah. upcoming Ready Player One. Oh, yeah, the new Spielberg, new Spielberg movie. Uh, I don't see it, personally. You don't see it? They're just both like guy, like pale brunettes, right? Wait, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This I'm is gonna, great radio. I'm gonna get some pics of them up, and I'm gonna describe their features. <laughs> <laughs> this is all part of a new kind of loose, fun feel for the podcast. This is like you know. The guest who was supposed to be interviewed hasn't turned up. Like, de- <laughs> desperately filling the airtime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, I can kind of see Tremblay um, and Sheridan. They both got kind of flattish noses. Uh, they both have a similar kind of swoop to their brown hair. They both have a certain um, a sort of innocence to them. Both have a kind of boy next door look, although not in a kind of obviously. Jacob Tremblay is like a young boy next door. Sure. And like Ty Shedden was like, you know, the, the sexy boy next door. Um, but I, you know, I could believe that they, they shared some uh, genetic heritage. What an adorable little kid he is. All right. I don't really and he so was about. in the book of Henry book already of Hen- in the book of Henry and book of Henry already in his career. He's made a very acclaimed film and a total uh, disaster. The book of Turkey. Henry is his Catwoman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the Oscar-winning actor who follows it up with like an absolute dud. It's his Your Highness. <laughs> <laughs> the Book of Henry is Jacob Tremblay's Your Highness. <laughs> that is the hottest of hot takes. Yeah, tweet that. Okay. <laughs> what without any explanation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. So, one of the, well, the best film of this year, according to the Oscars, is Moonlight. Uh, and it is awesome and directed well, last year last year last year but it won best film 2017 okay yes and it came out in the uk this year okay so true. i'm saying this year <laughs> um which was obviously directed by barry jenkins and even though it's his second film it obviously propelled him into a-list status and people were excited about what his next project is going to be he is got a few projects in the work one of them is a tv series adaptation of a uh, book called the underground railroad which is all about the uh uh the network of slaves freeing people from the south and smuggling them out to the more enlightened north but he is his next project has been confirmed as an adaptation of james baldwin if beale street could talk which was a, an acclaimed novel from the 70s james baldwin of course uh is the author and focus of i am not your negro yeah the sort of intellectual of the civil rights movement and incredibly doc- great documentary i'm not your negro made about him recently which i have recently caught up on it's on amazon prime if anyone wants to see it dm me i'll give you my login but don't <laughs> order any shit you know and charge it at me because you know i don't have that much money don't do that okay um but yeah you know awesome the two best movies of the year potentially moonlight and i'm not your negro you get the two creative forces behind both of them combined to one new incredible project it'll be amazing um yeah i you know i think moonlight is one of those films you're like i will now see every other film this man makes absolutely yeah kind of i want to catch up on his previous one did he make has he made two previously maybe uh he made a previous one called medicine for melancholy yeah uh yeah i'd like to see that the um this uh, new one beale street could talk is about a newly engaged harlem woman who races against the clock to prove her lover's innocence while carrying their firstborn child. Um, is this from Empire, this at all? Yeah. Info? They say it's a celebration of love told through the story of a young couple, their families and their lives, trying to bring about justice through love, for love, and the promise of the American dream. That sounds great. <laughs> that sounds great. I would say that's great. Well, I think that sounds great. Uh, but I don't know anything about it. Never, I've not heard of it before. I think like what you're saying about Barry Jenkins is kind of true of Baldwin as well. Like after watching I'm Not Your Negro, I'm like I've got to absorb anything more that this guy has done, um, but which I've not yet not not a task that I've yet embarked upon. But who is a man with a flawless presentation of race in his movies, <laughs> <laughs> which never come under criticism at all? Um, I would, I would say Tarantino falls under that bracket. He wouldn't have another film plan, would he? He does have another film plan. So this is a. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Exciting. We're always looking forward to what the next thing Tarantino is going to do. Uh, trying to uh, ignore everything, you know, anything you sort of, uh, any sort of weird troubling stuff that he says or does outside uh, his <laughs> own movies and his like physical descent into increasingly like evil goblin like uh, kind of appearance that he has. Um, 
but it's been uh, there's been a bit of a gap when he's been um, you know sorting out what his next project is going to be. It's approaching his like self-imposed retirement limit, isn't it? Yeah, he's only going to make a few more movies. There's only two more left, apparently. Didn't, didn't want to make any old man movies. So while he's, I mean, he might be making this now, Quentin. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but the next one is going to be a drama revolving around the Manson family murders, which is kind of an interesting thing because Tarantino has not made any movies based around world war events with impossible exception of inglorious bastards though that departed quite significantly from history well yeah like inglorious bastards is not really about sorry about world war ii it's about world war ii movies yeah you know it's kind of like filtered through the tropes and conventions of that genre but uh, yeah real world events is new territory for him um or like you know specific real events not you know kind of vague like slavery obviously happened but right yeah <laughs> it's exactly, not you know exactly. a specific tale where the details are very much documented yeah 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 exactly so it is it's definitely um, a new thing for him to do um and uh it sounds quite fascinating i don't know that much about the manson family murders what is your uh uh it was like a hippie commune charles manson he was sort of like weirdly related like uh he was mates with dennis wilson of the beach boys oh, right, okay. and he wanted to be a musician uh, he was out of in and out of jail in his youth, and he had some very troubled childhood, as you would expect from a man who went. I don't know, kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, and then he formed this cult, and he interpreted the lyrics of Helter Skelter to be an indication of an upcoming race war. And the Manson killings, I think, was him trying to instigate what he thought was an impending race war. And I'm going to kickstart it by murdering these random people in a horrific fashion but i don't think he didn't actually do in the killings himself his underlings did and one of the most famous victims is sharon tate who was the wife of rowan polanski and an actress and model living in la which apparently might be played by margot robbie in this tarantino version which is pretty cool because she's not really had a good role since wolf of wolf of wolf of wall street yes and even that role as well i think margot robbie is one of the most underutilized actresses in hollywood in that She's constantly, like, just cast as kind of in kind of eye candy, sexy babe roles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even when she's in like in better uh, received movies like Wolf of Wall Street or in roles that people say she's you know really great in, like in Suicide Squad, she's still very like objectified and yeah, yeah. Uh, has to constantly prance about in sexy clothes and stuff. She seems to be, like, she seems to uh, tickle the horn basically of any director that she's worked with so far. <laughs> Um, in a in a in a like way that like overwhelms their other priorities for the movie, um, and Jennifer Lawrence is also apparently tipped to maybe be in the film, uh, uh, we, and that this is kind of the same thing is true of her as well because she keeps working with David O. Russell who obviously wants to fuck her and you can just tell from, like, <laughs> the way that he directs her in his movies. Um, and she's coming off this kind of string of poorly received movies like Joy, X Men Apocalypse, Passengers, all kind of. Is he just like Tarantino, was just waiting for her star to dim sufficiently that he could then revive afford her, her career? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> no, I was like, That's... Do, do the Tarantino. Oh thing. yeah, of course, yeah. You know, or yeah, or afford her. Maybe that may be true. Brad Pitt uh, may be in it. Samuel Jackson is apparently likely to play a lead. Of course, of course. And we were talking a bit about Sam Jackson the other day. I guess because you saw I'm Not Your Negro where he does the voiceover and he's yeah, like, yeah. absolutely incredible in it. And he's just uh, low-key, possibly the best actor working in Hollywood. He's just Well, like, he's so prolific that people kind of forget how good he is in a yeah. way. But if he only made a movie every, like, you know, 10 years, then every new performance would be hailed as, like, this incredible, uh, yeah. you know, like, iconic role. But it's because yeah. he he's constantly making, like, films like Big Game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
people, you know, don't see him in that light. But I think he's like uh, amazing. And him and Tarantino have always been, you know, made fantastic movies together. Uh, yeah, and he's and uh, despite what his critics say, he has really evolved as a filmmaker, and he's always kind of doing new stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And even though you could sort of like say like, oh, Jang and Glorious Bastards are like superficially kind of similar ideas, they're not really at all like a slightly kind of revisionist history aspect to them, but they're doing very different things and making very different points. Yeah, and and the Hateful Eight is, I think, like markedly his most mature movie. Yeah, like the, the, the there's more of an engagement with um like politics or with like the state of society Absolutely. In, that, in that movie than any of his other ones, and it feels very prescient, really. And yeah. like you know, it came out beginning of 2016 here, I guess, sort of December in America, and it was all about you know there's undercurrent that was going to bubble over, and you know he kind of called it in a way. Like it seems like the most 2016 movie kind of encapsulated the time brilliantly. Yeah, and it, but it's also a movie that deals much more directly with um the unpleasantness of uh like the sort of like hyper masculine cool guys all shooting the shit you know which is the his like bread and butter but um this is like the dark version yeah, yeah, yeah. where all of that violence and like the racism is uh put much more under a spotlight it's made much more gruesome um and uh you know he gets he gets a lot of flack for um being really casual about about these things and so it was sort of yeah. encouraging to see him and it's like it is it is interesting as well because people people sort of talk about with things like the n-word and people say that um you know he basically just wants to be black and like uh wants to like um give himself some sort of license to use that word as much as possible hmm. um and there might there might be some there might be some truth to that uh i think he said something really bad recently wasn't he, he was like um talking about how like black kid like he's like oh you can't criticize me because like black kids in school are gonna learn about my movies and oh like, yeah there was some some weird thing like that um but like if you go back and watch some like pop fiction now where the n-word has absolutely no um like political social resonance at all it's just part of the vocabulary of all the characters and it's made in some kind of like uh post-racial almost thing where it's just like that word is just like toast or something yeah and like anyone can say it uh, which is obviously the sort of early 90s version of a progressive kind of politics. Um, and then he's you know, moved on to using it in movies in ways where it like carries weight every time it's used. Um, so, yeah, so I think that he's always he always makes stuff that's just more, like seems like smarter and more interesting and more subtle than he does when he's like talking or any of the shit like bullshit he says. Yeah. And uh, the Manson killings are very they're just this fascinating. They're a bit like um the oj murders or yeah. something like jack the ripper where it kind of encapsulates the time somehow like the mensa family is like the sort of dark heart of the hippie dream it all went wrong yeah, yeah. in 1969 you know the weird way like it's kind of connected to like the beach boys in california and like these celebrities this intersection of different like la things yeah there's obviously know, a rich kind yeah, of yeah. thing for him to i mean the first thing that i thought of when i heard the news was that it sounded just like he was revisiting a kind of natural-born killers type thing. Right, yeah. Like, um, sort of young, glamorous murders, like, in the in the public eye. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't make that connection. So, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to, like, you know, I'm glad, glad he's still doing his, doing his thing. And I don't know, maybe, like, the fact that he's dealing with real-world events might force him to um, change well, up his style a bit. Yeah, like, it won't, exactly. it won't be appropriate for him to, like, 
suddenly cut away to archive footage narrated by himself whatever <laughs> some weird thing he wants to do you know well he doesn't cast himself in yeah yeah he always works in genres and like what is whereas like what is the tropes and conventions of a real life crime dress there there aren't the same kind of you know yeah his, network of cinematic history for him to sort of riff on cool good news great films coming up awesome from tarantino and barry jenkins great love it and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it oscar-jingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off It Comes at Night is the new film by Trey Edward Schultz who made a big splash couple years ago with this movie, Krisha. Uh, which I did not see. I meant to watch. I was like, I want to get around to watching that. I was on a bunch of like best of 2016 lists, and he's just made another film. I can't, can't, can't keep, keep up. up. So here's the official synopsis for it. it. Comes at night. Secure within a desolate home, as an unnatural threat terrorizes the world, the tenuous order a man has established with his wife and son is put to the ultimate test with the arrival of a desperate family seeking refuge. Despite the best intentions of both families, paranoia and mistrust boil over as the horrors outside creep ever closer, awakening something hidden and monstrous within the man as he learns that the protection of his family comes at the cost of his soul. Oh my goodness, not his soul. And here is a clip from uh, earlier on in the movie where the two families are sitting down for dinner and the man, played by Joel Edgerton, is explaining how they sort of operate their little home. The way we like to run things and we think it's important, you know, we think it's important to keep a routine and stay busy. Uh, oh, God, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few things. There's plenty of time to work out all the details. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overload. Uh, <laughs> well, just settle in. Yeah. And uh, we'll get working in the morning. And welcome. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Welcome, buddy. <laughs> He's hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, you got your uh, <laughs> your salt in the corner there, your peppers next to that, and you, yeah, got the dinner plates <laughs> over here. If you if you want to eat off some plates, I got a DVD player. I got Mr. Mangorium's Wonder Emporium. <laughs> I got a PlayStation One, but I don't have the save cartridges. Won't <laughs> be able to save your games. Just got to start over, which is kind of annoying, but... Yeah. It's amazing that, despite not seeing the film or hearing that clip, you've completely nailed Joe Edgerton's thick <laughs> <laughs> sort of Boston accent. He's just, you know, he walked straight from the set of uh, Black Mass and... Uh, uh, and crushed it. And crushed it. Um, so, this film, I very much enjoyed it. It reminded me a lot of The Survivalist and The Road. It's kind of in that genre... And it's definitely a case similar to The Survivalist where the filmmaker is like, I have limited resources to make a film. I shall make a film about people with limited resources. So the synergy of story and production, uh, production uh, is very much to the film's benefit. And uh, what it lacks in resources it makes up for in atmosphere, which is kind of the whole point of the movie. It's not about what actually happens, but the fear of what might happen. And it's had not a backlash, but I think it's been a hard movie for them to market and there's been a lot of people saying it's not quite a horror movie or it's like missold as a horror movie and it is a hard sell because obviously to get people to see it they have the trailer has to be full of action but it's a much more slower meditative it's kind of akin to the road 
if you've seen that movie if you watch the trailer for that it looks like this insane mad max kind of movie and then the actual films a lot of them pushing a trolley yeah, yeah. um and the it comes at night total doesn't reference a demonic entity but it's more like calling the movie something's in the dark or the bogeyman it's just the you know the primal horror that man have of what lies somewhere beyond you know the homestead uh, but the direction is very, very assured. It barely has any exposition and just trusts the audience to connect the dots. And it's got this brilliant opening sequence, which is very grim but engrossing. And basically after that, you're like, this guy knows what he's doing and you're in safe hands. And it uh, very effectively builds tension throughout. And I think what's most impressive about it is that it has these dream sequences. And dream sequences are things which are very hard to do well and are often... A very can feel very lazy like i want i want to communicate to the audience what the character's thinking i shall just literalize that and uh job done um but it's they're done really well they're really imaginatively put together and the cinematography by this guy drew daniels is already quite dreamlike and the kind of the point of them and why they're effective is the idea that reality is a bit in flux in uh in this kind of future because objective reality has gone nuts and so it's that sort of idea that um, it leaves you a bit unmoored. And that's how paranoia kicks in because uh, before you might think something crazy and like, oh, that will never happen. But when something insane has happened in the real world, you kind of put a bit more weight into your subjective reality and, you know, you can quickly spiral into some dangerous situations. And this has led some reviewers to say it's got a very kind of modern post-truth fake news kind of angle which i think is a bit of a sort of stretch and it's just you know it reflects the time in the way that all films in some way reflect the time which they're made but i guess like you know trump winning the presidency has changed the collective idea of what is and isn't possible yeah, <laughs> in reality yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um so i guess you know there might be some truth to that it is it is very much like a uh, sort of comics what if um like series breaking into the actual world <laughs> yeah and that's kind of what the movie i guess is kind of about the idea that you know once reality is you know you just sort of anything can happen anything can happen yeah yeah and that's how paranoia one, starts one major surprise and then anything is possible yeah exactly um the cast are excellent uh joe edgerton is really brilliant in it and it reminded me his performance reminded me of that uh, article amy nicholson wrote which you told me about where she was talking about how Matt Damon was originally supposed to play the lead in Manchester by the Sea, but that would have been bad because he doesn't look like a janitor. Yeah, because yeah. he's and the whole like spate of leading men who have to be insanely ripped all the time because they've got these mega franchises. And Joe Edgerton has a slightly, I mean, he's pretty, you know, he could, Joe Edgerton is like quite a you know fit guy, but he looks like a real person. Yeah, well, like, he's got like, like a sign like throwback character yeah, actor yeah, yeah. quality quality to him. Well, the, the first movie that I saw him in was Kinky Boots. And then, yeah. like, the next thing I know, he's starring in, like, Warrior, like, <laughs> you know, as some sort of, like, massively Actually, ripped guy. He was ripped in that, but... Yeah, but it was weird, because I thought, like, in Kinky Boots, he's he's a sort of Richard Curtis-style, like, lead. Yeah. You know, just a sort of everyman, like, charming, bumbling uh, British guy. Well, that's so, what's... So that's how yeah, I Yeah, that's why he's good casting, in a way, because you can sort of you get the uh impression of what he was like before the events yeah would you uh, say he's better in this role than like he was as like the pharaoh of egypt in uh, <laughs> exodus gods and kings i mean that is one for the ages but uh, <laughs> yeah i'd say he's better i've not actually seen that movie i but, presume uh, it's shit 
And it probably is. Yeah, but he's really good. He's got like a very like likability to him. And so is the other cast is like Christopher Abbott, who is Charlie and Girl season one and two. Oh, yes, the guy Charlie. who very uh, smartly bailed on the show when it became shit. Um, <laughs> he's excellent. So is Riley Keough. And they're both, yeah, they're all doing great work. And because it's so about, it's so pared down the scripts, I feel like, you know, it's a lot of... Um, a lot of acting going on, you know. They've like obviously worked on their characters loads and basically just talk about farming, but it's got a lot of weight to it. I would say that it's not very surprising and these kind of movies, the sort of lack of resources kind of extends in a sort of uh, narrative sense. Like there's only kind of a few ways these stories can go and the ending won't surprise you. But it's very accomplished. I feel like, you know, I wish there's like the filmmakers achieved everything he set out to do. And, uh, yeah, it is a grim but engrossing watch. Cool. I would recommend. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey, Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are going to help you out. you got to come prepared, try not to rush. Speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. You saw a film about people in a house, you know. Well, I was gonna, actually, a lot of what you you were saying in your review uh, resonates with what the girl is like. Yeah. Uh, this is the uh, written and directed by Sofia Coppola. Um, based on the novel of the same name by a guy called Thomas Cullinan, uh, which was also adapted in 1971 by Don Siegel into a film starring Clint Eastwood. And it is a it's set in the American Civil War in 1864, a few years into the war, set in a uh, all-female uh, seminary run by um, uh, Nicole Kidman, just plays someone called Martha Farnsworth, and uh, Kirsten Dunst and Elle Fanning are also there, and a bunch of other ladies. Um, and Colin Farrell plays a uh, Yankee soldier who uh, crops up injured and they take him in. They have to sort of look after him um, and they're all sort of stuck in the house as the war is raging on outside and a bunch of uh, psychosexual uh, drama goes down, shit develops, gets very tense. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, but what you're saying about it, it comes at night. It's this sort of like pared down thing, a lot of acting going on, kind <laughs> of dreamlike in tone. Um. Yeah, the Beguiled is is very much like that, and uh, I was intending to watch the original movie or the, or the previous adaptation of the book to compare them before doing this review, so that I'd do a smart, informed review, more interesting. I didn't do that though. I didn't get around to doing it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I've it's seen it. Ignorant, and shitty review. Our hive mind can just we'll, do we'll, it. We'll piece we'll piece this together. Uh, but I, I mean, the what I was going into the movie with was uh, listening to them talking about it on the Still Processing podcast, which I mentioned at the end of last week's episode. Um, and what they were talking about is the fact that uh, there's a black, there's a slave character in the original movie, um, and she's not in this film. I think Kirsten Dunst takes the place of that um, that character. Um, and they were um, on that podcast, which has two black hosts, and they were they were saying that um, it almost felt like the movie was kind of whitewashing uh, the uh, the previous one, and how it's weird basically to have a movie set in the American South during the Civil War with like a mostly southern cast and there's a kind of south versus north thing because uh, he's a yankee soldier as well yeah um and there's an it raises an interesting issue basically about um whether the your historical setting you know and the specific place and dynamics of your story basically require you to deal with other historical things like are you, are you allowed to excise this issue from your film if you don't want to deal with it because it's obviously that she 
basically she felt like Coppola must have felt like that it was going to overwhelm the film or she felt like she wasn't equipped to say smart things about it if they're yeah. a slave in the movie and obviously it casts all of those characters in a different light if they're basically slave owners or if they have a slave um and uh you know the the dynamics would change in a way they'd be more interesting but um i think that i can completely understand anybody who is basically feels like it's you know chickening out or in in some way is you know resembles whitewashing because you um have erased blackness yeah. from a place where historically it was incredibly relevant and important uh and in the movie there's just this like one line where a kid is like oh the slave has run away and that's the explanation for why uh, why the, the cast is completely white <laughs> um but uh but yeah but I, I can't you know can't comment too much further having not seen the original movie and how that's dealt with although apparently she's like a fully fledged sort of character in that um yeah, it's been a while since i've seen it but uh, but i think that the it's clear what what she wanted to do it's like it's not really about that historical period it's about you know the psychology of those characters the, the movie because it's set in this isolated house it's that that she obviously wants to have a kind of isolated psychological study and i think that's part of why it takes on this like slightly dreamlike quality as well the the there's a lot of exterior shots of this like beautiful house that they're in which is apparently also where they shot some of the um, lemonade video Oh, right. Which is another thing that um, Wesley Morrison, Jenna Wortham got pissed about because it's like, how could they? How could they get the blackest thing that take? happened? Yeah, in... exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but it's always shot like through the trees, or uh, there's a lot of verdant uh, shots and like um, not much score, but a lot of like um, outside foley, you know. Mm. Um, and it does feel like a place outside time, basically. Um, which is in a way that's kind of an odd. It's like, you know, 1864, American Civil War, you know, but it's also nowhere. Yeah, it, yeah. it reminded me a little bit of, like, the Duke um, the Duke of Burgundy. Yeah. Um, that uh, movie about, um, like, a, a female gay couple who um, uh, have some sort of strange BDSM um, relationship, but they're in some world where there's, like, there's no, no men. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that film is clearly set in some kind of, like, you know non it's not set in the real world basically there's a sort of fantasy element to the setting yeah um but that embraces it wholeheartedly and that it doesn't like it's clearly like all a bit odd uh and this film just vaguely kind of hints at that kind of idea but i have to say that i really i really really enjoyed it i thought it was um i thought it was really good the the the, the central premise is a good one because um it sets up a situation uh, like a tense situation with a lot of different interesting dynamics between the characters uh, they do a good job of um establishing uh what uh, the sort of disposition of all the different girls in the household is um and they are already you know sort of personality clashes there before this guy arrives um and what goes on is essentially a kind of uh, unspoken power struggle between everybody um and then we're all trying to influence each other and it's quite deftly done basically um colin farrell is extremely good in it he's a total babe in it i think this is going to be the sex he's gorgeous he's gorgeous they've let him keep his sexy irish accent for max, oh, he's maximum gorgeous maximum sexiness um and uh yeah i mean he's a handsome man yeah it seems feels like if you wanted to fuck him in the lobster you're definitely gonna want to fuck him in 
Well, it feels like he's up. entering like a very interesting part of his career where he's sort of given up on being a Hollywood leading man and crappy After genre like, films. the Total Recall remake, he was like, fuck that. Yeah, I didn't just kind of picks interesting projects and, you know, he's always been very charismatic, but I, you know, I just... Yeah, he's ace. I mean, uh, I really like him. I think he's really, really good. And he's really, really good in this film. I think he does a very good... You know, the you, you will naturally be suspicious of him, obviously, mm. um, uh, because as he's kind of like brought in and he's like ultra, uh, you know, polite and nice to everybody, but he's like, um, you know, trying mm, to increase schemey. his in the house a bit schemy. But I think he plays it exactly correctly, which is basically he plays it as politely and as nicely as possible. So he's trying to charm the audience as well as the women, basically. There's no does, kind of... Does he succeed? There's no winking... Oh, he succeeds. Were you beguiled? Oh, I was totally beguiled. I was very much, very much... I, the beguiled was me. The na- The movie is named after me. And that's that's all that's all done really well. Kirsten Dunst is extremely good in it, as a, like probably the most buttoned up and most horny of... Um, she's uh, awesome. Of, ...of the ladies in the house. Yeah, and uh, she's brilliant. She's another one as well, actually, like um, a bit like Colin Farrell, who's... Uh, who's sort of left the blockbuster world behind a bit and is now just doing really, really interesting, good character stuff. Yeah. Um, and Nicole Kidman is also ace. Like, I'm not a... Um, like, I'm not crazy, like, about Nicole Kidman particularly. Um, I think she's probably just made, like, a bunch of not particularly great, uh, like, mm-hmm. role choices. Um, but uh, but she's very good in this movie, uh, in a role that I expected to be one way and was slightly... Uh, was, was not like that. Um, and she also delivers a very subtle performance. And... It's um, it's all relatively like it's relatively stripped down, and it's the 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 when things happen, they do you know they have a lot of impact because the um, the, the the movie is so kind of quiet that when yeah. shit kicks off, it like you know it's, it's going it's, from zero miles an hour to five is the same as going from... yeah exactly like that that <laughs> stuff that stuff all 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 lands a lot, but like it doesn't go that far right. Know? Like it doesn't ramp up in a in a particularly extreme way, um, and uh, so I I would say that it's not like it even when shit really kicks off, it never kind of becomes a real like edge of your seat movie. It just kind of like you know bubbles bubbles over a little bit, and then the movie kind of glides to the end. Um, so I don't know. I didn't find it like massively impactful. It's uh, kind of a quiet like mostly a kind of quiet film. But definitely quite engrossing and uh, elegantly um, directed. Always interesting. Always just like interested to see, yeah, yeah. Uh, what like you know what what thing what relationship thing will develop next. And like all the performances are uh, just fascinating to watch. All the younger kids in the household as well are very 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 good. All like the child actors in it are doing a doing a tremendous job. And if your bag is you know a lot of like candle light and like waving trees and grass and lace that's my bag man yeah then you'll then you will love it i love a candle lit lit movie like i like uh 1100 different kinds of um southern 19th century lace dress oh you you will be i can't wait you'll be jizzing yourself in anticipation i'll be coming at night (laughs) you'll be coming at night uh thinking about uh, going to see this film my favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Yeah. So we are recording this unusually late in the week, recording this on Sunday afternoon. Uh, but it was good because we got a big, a big bit of pop culture news came through. A Absolutely. real cultural moment. They've announced the new Doctor. 
Uh, I feel like the sort of cachet of the Doctor has been fading recently. Maybe it's just because I personally stopped watching the show, but didn't it, it had sort of dipping viewing figures and stuff? Yeah, I think so. You know, this the sort of, you know, people are over the fact that it's on. Yeah. And then when it came back, I was like, oh, it's back. And now it's just part of the TV landscape and TV is metabolized around there. And, you know. Yeah. And, it, and maybe like they did, the, the Moffat era was becoming a bit stale or whatever. People felt like. That's yeah, yeah. how I felt. Like I watched a few of these couple of I think that's true. You I know. liked him, but like. There's some episode where he was like playing electric guitar on a thing. I have no idea what was going on. It didn't seem to be going anywhere. I was like, nah, I'm done with this. Um, but they have uh, given us all something to cheer over and to discuss by performing the revolutionary uh, feat of uh, switching the gender of this character. So the Doctor's a woman now. It's gonna be she's gonna be Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, it's playing the role. You may know Jodie Whittaker from Broadchurch um, or from Attack the Block or from Adult Life Skills which you can find reviewed on some previous episode of this podcast. Uh, but she's cool. I mean, uh, liked her a lot in, in Attack the Block and in Adult Love Skills. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's a great actress. Good, she's a really good actress, yeah. My, my fears about it, I'm all for having a female doctor, and I think they should have done it like several generations ago. Yeah. Um, but the writer taking over from Stephen Moffat, Chris Chibnall, who's had huge success with Broadchurch, um, he, the yeah. episodes of Doctor Who he's written have all been Awful. very bad. And he also made the short-lived series Camelot, which features not the best of writing. That holds a that holds a real special place in my heart. That show. Um, so let's play some clips from Camelot. Yeah, so let's, ex- let, yeah, let's enjoy. See, so just so you can hear what the, what kind of angle Chibnall might be taking. This yeah, yeah. is a scene uh, where Eva Green's character of Morgan Le Fay uh, tries to seduces James Purefoy, who's an evil marauding beardy king, to yeah. team up. Uh, to take down King Off. And this is the scene where they meet. Hold down those banners! Confiscate all the weapons! And someone find the kitchens! I'm bloody starving! The doors are open to you, my lord. There's no need for force. Are you the one who summoned me? I'm Uther's daughter and sole heir, Morgan Pendragon. Even as we speak, my men are slaughtering all those still loyal to Uther. Why would you call me here? To offer an alliance. Who with? Me. <laughs> you? Who better than you? King Lot, my father's strongest opponent. I am immune to flattery. And yet you came when asked. You've nothing to offer me. I hold this castle. I could split you from your gut to your throat. And still take it. You're cleverer than that. Am I? Kill me, and you're just another warlord taking yet another castle. But if we stand together... Stand alone. If we forge a union, we'd have the strength to unite the realm as king and queen. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) It's like, that's an unforgettable scene. I mean, that's that's like extreme, that's peak pure for it. Like, it never gets better than that. It's the greatest line to read the, ever. The, the, the I'm immune to flattery line reading is, like, that's honestly immortal. Uh, so that's obviously a great piece of uh, writing. But he tops it in the same episode with an amazing sex scene, uh, which is uh, very dialogue filled. It's banging. That's a joke. Uh-huh. That's a sex joke. <laughs> Say my name. Morgan. Who will I be? Queen of the Realm. Fit to be my king. You know I am. Uh, What will you give me? 
I watched, like that had such an impact on me that I always scream the word blood <laughs> in any kind of sexual encounter that I have. Yeah. Anyway, my my fear is that you know it's the same when there was like a all female Ghostbusters or whatever, and that like you know obviously there'll be a lot of backlash against this from the but idiot. People will be scrutinizing it. Yeah, and like all the jerks. I just want it to be like a home run, and it won't be a thing of like, well, we tried a female doctor once, and it was the worst series ever, and I'd be yeah. like, and you know, I want her to have loads of good material I guess well, I, think, like, I, only, I think that they should have got a female writer for the show yeah. as well like if just like um, I think that that would do you know that would have maybe done more to take the show in a new direction uh, than just changing the, like, the gender of the doctor because um, uh, the it's like sci-fi is seen as such a sort of man thing anyway yeah that like um having a having some women writers on the show would be uh, uh much appreciated um but like but i you know if it's too self-consciously that kind of version of female empowerment where it's just like you know that's right a girl wants to uh, be the doctor now <laughs> um then uh that would be unfortunate and especially especially as like you know it's like a man putting the it's like how uh, liberating is it now? It's like yeah, this you know, another sort of uh, very male focused dork who made this incredibly horny, awful Camelot King Arthur series <laughs> uh, will be telling us all what like a feminist doctor would be like. I don't yeah. know, uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how he does. I feel like you know it's long overdue, but if it'd been Chris Marshall, it'd been like oh god, like that would been like a sort of death sentence for the show for me. Even yeah. I like. I'm a big fan, and I admit all its many flaws, and I sort of begrudgingly watch it <laughs> in a sort of, you know, and even when it's shit, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, and every once in a while it's kind of good, and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'm a kid again. Uh, but if they had hired another white guy, I'd have been like, fuck this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. So they've avoided oh, they've avoided doing that. Yeah, they've, they've kept one viewer for the first few episodes, at least. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that feels like it shouldn't be. Yeah, it's 2017. It just shouldn't even be, a, like, a major moment. No. We're almost by discussing it, you know, now at length, it's almost like uh giving yeah, it yeah, too yeah. much uh, giving it too much away cuz it should just be like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um but you know, I mean, I probably will induce me to now watch the show again as I basically gave up during the Capaldi years, even though I like him a lot. Well, you know, it will fundamentally change the dynamic because you know, the uh, some of the most annoying aspects is the sort of like female assistants are like fawning over the doctor yeah absolutely and yeah. just by changing the gender you don't have to have that get, dynamic like, teacher thing anymore yeah exactly <laughs> or maybe maybe the assistant will be some horny guy who's constantly trying to bone the oh doctor God, i don't know <laughs> but just you know it's i feel like you know it's a decision they should make because it does put the show you know it sends it off in a new direction yeah and like what other show can the main character switch genders yeah you know, so if you can do it you you know there's no point just doing it. Just be like any other sci-fi show. They should do stuff that's unique to the concept of the show. That's when it says the strongest. That's what I think. Absolutely. See um, my blog called Why Season 14 from 1974 is the best Doctor Who season ever. Uh, what are we What are we going to be reviewing next week? Are we going to do the Apes film? Are you going to see I want to see, uh, what's it called? No More Monkey Business, the new yeah. Apes movie. 
And maybe Dunkirk. We got those IMAX tickets. Pretty sweet. We'll be reviewing Dunkirk. It's going to be a widescreen review to, yeah. to match a widescreen. I'm going to periscope it if anybody just follow me. And I'll... It's going to be periscoped in IMAX. Yeah. So you will have to be watching this on a phone the size of uh, a you know, football stadium. Pitch. Yeah, but the format is so good that even in periscope, it'll be like an actual movie. Yeah. <laughs> it like downgrades to like, you know, just a Blu-ray. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think that's how it works. Yeah. Um, All right, cool. See, look forward to that. And uh, have a great week. And don't do anything. Don't do any crimes. Don't do any crimes. And be good. Stay in school. Be be kind to each other. Um, And, 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 you know, all that stuff. See see you later. See you. Bye. 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 (laughs) Let's do it. Does that apply to things like gay marriage for you? I mean, the, last week we the Supreme Court was hearing Defensive Marriage Act. Uh, you know, basically they're going to be deciding on gay marriage this Same year. As we are in England. Yeah. I don't. How know. far does it extend? I mean, tax-wise is an interesting one because you see, could a father not marry his son? Uh, well, there are laws against incest. It's not incest between men. Incest is there to protect us from having um, uh, uh, inbreeding. Uh, but, um... but, but men don't breed, therefore they... So incest wouldn't cover that. Now, if that was so, then if I wanted to pass on my estate without death duties, I could marry my son and pass on my estate to him. No, that sounds like a total red herring. I'm sure that, I'm sure that incest law would still cover same-sex marriages. Really? Why? Yeah. Because uh, I don't think that incest law is only justified on the basis of, uh, of the consequences of procreation. I think it's also. I think there's also a moral approbation that's associated with incest. Uh, but I think it comes from from. Yeah, it probably does originally. Yeah. And moral approbation. I mean, I think the lawyers are going to have a field day with same-sex marriage. I just guess they are. I I don't have a strong feeling either way. I mean. I just wish everybody who who's living with one other person the best of luck in the world mm. because it can it's fantastic. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.